our mission is to be a loving church that knows and shares the life-changing message of Jesus. This simple 12-word statement sums up our purpose. It informs who we aspire to be and what we are called to do. The first part of our mission statement, a loving church, defines the identity we are striving for. This is informed by 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, where the Apostle Paul writes, Let love be your highest goal. Loving God and loving neighbour is the essence of the Christian faith. It is the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Therefore, a church full of people seeking to love God and love neighbour will in effect be a loving church. The term loving church, however, can be very subjective, can't it? Your understanding, your interpretation of what a loving church means and looks like might be different to my understanding of what I think a loving church looks like. It doesn't mean that either of us are wrong because there are multiple ways that this statement can be interpreted. And there's a part of me that says, this is wonderful, this is rich, love is multifaceted. We demonstrate love in a variety of ways, don't we? However, another part of me says we need some clarity, some focus around our collective understanding of this definition, a loving church. So everybody knows what we're on about and where we're going as a community of faith. The second part of our mission statement, knowing and sharing the life-changing message of Jesus, defines what we are seeking to do. Whilst a loving church is a being statement, knowing and sharing Jesus is effectively a doing statement. I want to propose that we can only achieve our being statement if we realise our doing statement. In other words, if we focus on the input, knowing and sharing Jesus, then the loving church bit will take care of itself. Are you with me? The order, knowing and sharing, is not incidental either. We have to know first, before we can share. But it's not just knowing about. Jesus doesn't call his followers to know about him, but to know him and to follow him. This speaks to me of relationship that is alive, that is dynamic. We have acknowledged that the message of Jesus is in fact a life-changing one. This isn't, however, a one-off transaction. If we are, in fact, in active and vital relationship with Jesus, then he will be changing our lives forever while we are on this earth. There will never be a moment where the life-changing message of Jesus is not changing our lives. 
if we are seeking to be in right and vital relationship with him. Perhaps, however, it is possible that we tend to focus more on knowing about Jesus. We read about him, we listen to talks about him, we talk with each other about him, but, and this is a a question just as much for me as for each of you, how much do we genuinely know him, the person of Christ, and experience the presence of his spirit in our lives at work on an ongoing daily basis? Are we talking and walking with Jesus? Are we experiencing his presence? Are we following his call upon each of our lives? Facebook is a great way to know about someone. I have Facebook friends who I have very little to no contact with, never talk to, and never see. And yet I know about them through passive observance. That's not relationship at all. Perhaps for some of us, Jesus has become somewhat like a Facebook friend. We get regular updates from his posts when we go to Bible study group or when we come to church. But we're not really engaging in an active, life-changing relationship with Jesus. How many of us here this morning could say, this is the area of my life that Jesus is trying to change in me right now, like today? If we're in active, vital relationship with Jesus, then the emphasis and the premise is that each of us is constantly in the process of having our lives changed to become more Christ-like. So my question for me and my question for you is, what area is it in your life right now that Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is seeking to change and bring into his kingdom, bring under his lordship and seek to help you become more and more Christ-like. As I sought the Lord about what we should focus on as a church in 2016, the overwhelming sense I got was that we needed to pay much greater attention to the sharing the life-changing message of Jesus aspect of our mission statement. However, as I examined the Scriptures, it became so clearly evident to me that people only share Jesus as a result of experiencing him, of encountering him, of, yes, knowing him. You can't disconnect knowing from sharing. The two always go hand in hand. One particular character who had his life profoundly changed by Jesus, one of the original disciples, became one of the greatest sharers of Jesus and was instrumental in establishing the early church. Peter, the fisherman, became Peter, the disciple, who then became Peter, the apostle. Peter knew Jesus. Peter experienced Jesus. Peter followed Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. Peter trusted Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. Peter faltered. Peter walked toward Jesus on the water. Peter walked away from Jesus at the cross. 
Peter had the best of intentions to follow Jesus. But like you and I, those good intentions didn't always materialize how we might hope. Peter was human. Peter is relatable. Peter's story can be our story. Today we commence a new series, Peter the Disciple, Knowing Jesus. We will study Peter's life as a disciple and learn from his story what it means to know Jesus. Then in term two, after Easter, we will continue to examine Peter's life post-resurrection, where in Acts 1 to 12, he is the bold apostle sharing the life-changing message of Jesus. I am very excited about this upcoming study of Peter's life. My hope and prayer is that as we witness through Scripture these powerful accounts of one man's journey from knowing Jesus to sharing Jesus, that we might become a people, indeed a church, who not only knows about Jesus, but who truly knows Jesus and who is actively participating in his world-changing mission of sharing his message with all people. Would you join me as I pray? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of Peter. We thank you that his stories have been recorded for us throughout Scripture, that we might be encouraged, that we might be heartened, that we might be challenged to understand what it means to follow you and the journey that that looks like. And so, Father, I just want to ask that you would come upon your people here at Erina Community Baptist, that we might come under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit as we open our hearts and our lives to your word. Not only today, but during the week as we study this uh, great person that we can relate to. And ultimately, Lord, as we look at you, as we look at the way that you interact with Peter and treat him, I pray that that might be a great encouragement to each one of us. So, Lord, we look forward to all that you have to say to us over these coming weeks and months and just pray that you might do a transformative work in our lives and in our church for the glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning is taken from Luke chapter 5 and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee... Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realised what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, 
Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And this is the living word of God.
Simon, Peter, also known as Cephas, was one of the first followers of Jesus Christ. He was an outspoken disciple, one of Jesus' closest friends, an apostle, and according to Galatians 2.9, a pillar of the church. Peter was enthusiastic, strong-willed, impulsive, and at times arrogant. But for all his strengths, Peter had several failings in his life. Yet the Lord continued to mold him into the person that he saw Peter to be. Through the Gospels, we learn that Simon was originally from Bethsaida and lived in Capernaum, both cities on the coast of of the Sea of Galilee. He was married, and along with his partners, James and John conducted a fishing business. Simon met Jesus through his brother Andrew, who had followed Jesus after hearing John the Baptist proclaim that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Andrew immediately went to get his brother and bring him to Jesus. Upon first meeting Simon in John 1, 40-42, Jesus gave him a new name. In Aramaic, Cephas, or in Greek, Peter, which mean rock. A man of rock is someone you can depend on. Bedrock is also a strong and solid foundation upon which to build. What a great name to bear. Jesus saw Peter not for who he was, but for who he could become. The rough and reckless fisherman in Jesus' eyes was a firm and faithful rock. Jesus knows people better than they know themselves. This is pictured in Jesus knowing how to fish better than fishermen do. Peter was a professional fisherman. This is what he did for a living. He knew the right time of the day to cast out nets. And he knew that the current conditions were not right for fishing. Jesus, on the other hand, was a teacher. Fishing was not his profession. I wonder what was going through Peter's mind when he first cast those nets. I wonder if he expected Jesus to be showed up, or I wonder if he expected himself to be showed up. Either way, he demonstrates trust and obedience in Jesus. Whatever the profession of fishing had taught Peter, Jesus' knowledge, skill, and expertise as the all-knowing Son of God overruled it. Jesus sees you, not for who you are, but for who he intends you to become. Jesus ain't finished with any of us yet. Peter was a fisherman from Galilee, but Jesus called him to be a fisher 
of men. Because Peter was willing to leave all that he had to follow Jesus, God was able to use him in great ways. Peter's vocation and occupation would now be catching people. And unlike catching fish, which resulted in death, catching people would result in life. The fishing metaphor is an intentional and appropriate one for evangelism. Catching fish takes time, work, and proper preparation. Mending and maintaining nets was time-consuming work and involved teamwork. This metaphor has indeed been helpful for Christians and churches through the ages. If we were to apply this analogy, this metaphor, to our own context then in order for Erina Community Baptist to become better prepared to evangelize to the lost, we need to learn how to work together as a team and prepare our nets. I was delighted this week to receive a letter from one of our congregation members outlining how they sensed that God was saying that it is time for us to let down our nets and that we needed to ready ourselves through prayer and various net-mending activities to be well prepared for all that is coming. As we embark upon a new year, I am excited to think about all the Lord has in store for His church here at Erina. It's not Joel's church. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church. And He will do with it what He sees fit. And the more we are prepared to submit to his ways and his will, then I, for one, am truly excited and want to be a part of what he is going to do. In the rush of pulling in all the fish, something profound dawned on Peter. What happened with the miraculous catch was no accident. Only a person of God could have produced such a miraculous catch of fish in the middle of the day. And Peter, overcome by the magnitude of the catch, recognises Jesus not only as Master, but also as Lord, and falls to his knees in sheer humility. Full of respect and awe, Peter requests that the Lord depart from him, for he is a sinful man. Peter's assumption was that God wants nothing to do with everyday, ordinary sinners. Peter feels completely unworthy. In his mind, it is far too dangerous for a sinner to be in the presence of God. What Peter doesn't realize is that confessing one's inability and sins is the best prerequisite for the service of God. For it is only when a person acknowledges their complete and utter dependence upon God can God begin to work and move and use that person for his purposes and his glory. Peter's um, confession becomes something of a resume for his service. Leave my presence, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Jesus looks him in the eyes and says, You're hired. Can you imagine 
the response for Peter. This was not how he understood God to treat sinners. Sinners would be condemned in God's presence, not welcomed. Peter's whole uh, paradigm, his whole view, his whole understanding of God was changing dramatically. The grace of God through the eyes of Jesus is staring Peter in the face and he is awestruck. There is a principle here at work. Humility elevates spiritual greatness. Humility. You can't get a PhD in humility. But it is humility that is great in God's eyes. And it is humility that God is looking for in followers. Because when we are humble, it's not about us. We recognize that we bring nothing to the table. That anything that happens through us will be because of God's grace. Peter will in time become a great leader and play an instrumental role in building the early church. But it's not his good looks, his charismatic nature, or his speaking ability that win him the job. It's his humility. To know who you are honestly before God and to humbly bow before him. This is where true greatness starts in the kingdom of God. Peter recognized the vast difference between Jesus and himself. The presence of Jesus brings an awareness of sin, but not in a condemning way. In fact, Jesus taught Peter that sinners who turn to Jesus are the people that God can use the most. Having had his name changed and now witnessing this miraculous catch of fish as well as encountering the grace of God, Peter is willing and prepared to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. Peter understood that there is no greater call than to cast nets for Jesus and minister to those who find their way into the saving net of the gospel. The priority of Peter's life is no longer fishing, but following Jesus and fishing for people. Boats and nets will no longer be his tools, but prayer and the word of God will be. One thing we will come to see over the coming weeks is how Peter is the spokesperson for the disciples. He is, if you like, the lead singer, the front man. He speaks on behalf of. And the case is in point right here in Luke 5.11 because it's not only Peter who will leave the nets and follow him, but also James and John. The call to follow Jesus and participate in his mission of rescuing people from death to life is the call Jesus issues to followers of him today. Like Peter and the other disciples, are we prepared to let go of whatever is in our hands and follow Jesus wherever he may lead? For some of us, This may mean doing something entirely different with our lives. For others of us, 
it will mean reclaiming a metaphorical boat, a net, and using it for the glory and purpose of God. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you called Peter. You called him by name. You first changed his name. You called him a rock. You, Lord, called a man who would deny you a rock. And you would then use this man to establish and build your church. And what we see today in Peter, Lord, is the kind of humility that you're looking for in each one of us. And it's incredible, Lord, to think what you can do with that sort of humility. I pray, Lord, that you might help us as we began our service this morning to encounter the holiness of you, Lord. And as we encounter your holiness and a little like Peter, become aware of our unworthiness to be in your presence, that we will then find ourselves staring into the eyes and the face of grace and have our lives and our priorities completely changed and altered that we might set aside that which we were pursuing for our own gain and join you in your world-changing, life-changing movement of bringing people, men and women, boys and girls, into the kingdom, into the family of God. Lord, could you use us, your people here at Erina Community Baptist, to do just that this year and in the coming years? We would love to be part of what you're doing. And so I pray, Father, that you might unify us as a team, that you might help us prioritize those things that we need to get busy about doing so that our nets are well prepared. And that we, Lord, like Peter, might in faith and excitement and trepidation say yes to following you. And may that be the most exciting journey and adventure uh, in the coming days ahead. Thank you for your great presence that is here with us now. We are wholly and utterly dependent upon you. Amen.